maybe better than any day of the year, is that everyone believes in something. Everybody does. Faith is universal. And even people who say, well, well, I have a doubt about a certain thing. They may not realize that claiming doubt in one thing means that you have faith in another alternative. Uh, For instance, somebody says, well, I doubt that there is a God. And uh, that sounds like a simple statement of unbelief toward an ideology. But a statement of unbelief in one ideology is also a statement of belief in an alternate ideology. Unbelief in a certain thing is not an absence of faith. It's just faith in an alternate thing. You say, well, why would you open the Easter service with this? Well, there are those who firmly believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And there are those who have doubt or unbelief about the resurrection. But that doesn't mean that they don't have faith. They just currently have faith in an alternate idea. And I want you to know as we get started this morning that God loves both types. And Jesus died for both types. And God's word is powerful enough to speak to people in all places on the faith spectrum. And so no matter what you believe today, I'm glad you're here. And Jesus is glad you're here. And he wants to speak to you where you are today in relation to his son, Jesus Christ. Now, Easter Sunday is the day in which Christians who believe in Jesus celebrate his bodily resurrection from the dead. And uh, and for the believer, Easter is even bigger than Christmas. Uh, Because if Messiah had not been, if he had been miraculously born, And even if he died on the cross but was not able to rise from the dead, our entire belief system is invalid. Okay, so while other belief systems are geared or founded upon a book or upon a founder who wrote something, our belief system is totally founded on a man who predicted that he would rise from the dead and then actually did it. And and so skeptics and liberal theologians have all sorts of, of theories on Jesus. And some say that Jesus did come to earth, but that he didn't really die on the cross. And it's called the swoon theory. Uh, A woman wrote the famous radio teacher, J. Vernon McGee. And she said, our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus swooned on the cross. And the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? And so McGee wrote her a letter back. And he said, dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip for 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for three days, then see what happens. I thought that was good advice. Hey, let's get started this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. And we're going to be in the last chapter of the book, chapter 28. I'm going to read the first eight verses there in Matthew 28. Now, come and see was a theme of the ministry that Jesus had on earth. And that theme actually continued in his his resurrection. Jesus was willing to allow people to experience faith for themselves. Uh, Jesus never forced anyone to trust him, and he still doesn't. Uh, If you want to choose not to trust Jesus, that's on you. 
right? And uh, I think people have said it in many different ways. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis said it this way. Uh, you may mock me for believing Jesus, and if there is no God and if there's no Jesus, I have wasted my life on this earth. But if there is, you have wasted your eternity. And so it's a big thing to think about as we begin this morning. Verse number one, Matthew 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. That's the grave. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples word. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And that's going to be our theme for these short minutes now on our Easter Sunday. And so in reality, this place that the angel referred to when he said, come and see, was a borrowed tomb belonging to a wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. And so it was an actual place, and you actually can go uh, to the garden tomb today in Israel. But symbolically, this place was much, much more than just a physical location. And today I want to walk you through uh, four things about the place of resurrection. And when we're told, come and see the place, I believe these things are scriptural and pertinent, and we're going to share them with you this morning. So let's talk first of all this morning about the place being a place where salvation is made certain. And the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. The place where salvation was made certain. Jesus came to this earth for an important reason. Jesus came to earth to bring the human race back into peace with God. And when he died on the cross, he died under our sins. The Bible says that he bare our sins in his own body on the tree so that we could live. And, and Paul said it this way in Romans 4.25. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now Jesus proved in resurrection that he is who he claimed to be. The savior of mankind. And he proved that God has fully accepted his sacrifice to pay for the sins of the whole world. The resurrection put the finishing touches on salvation. In, in Romans 10, 9, and we often share this verse with people who want to trust Christ as their Savior. And Romans 10, 9 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. There is no redemption. There is no peace with God. 
you say, well, what about doing good works? And what about uh, going to church? And what about being baptized? Look, here's the thing. If we could be saved by works, why did Jesus come? Right? If we could be saved by works, the resurrection is not necessary. If we could be saved by baptism, the resurrection is not necessary. But if, if salvation is by grace through faith, which God claims it to be, the resurrection is absolutely necessary to make salvation certain. And because he is alive, those who believe are made alive in him. Now, when you, when you became a thing on planet Earth, right, and we won't get into the details of that this morning for our younger people in the audience, but you became a thing on this Earth at a point in time, and moms and dads can explain that later. You know, at, at 21 days old, you were the size of the tip of a straight pen. That's how big you were. And in your mother's womb, uh, at a time just a few months in, one million sensors from your tiny little brain left to go meet one million sensors coming from these slits that would become your eyeballs. And they had to perfectly form and meet each other. Uh, the, the human eye is such a miracle. And, and so you became a thing. And when you became a thing on this earth, you were shaped in three parts. And, and God calls them body, soul, and spirit. Now, now, two of those parts were born into sin. Unfortunately, your soul was born under the curse of sin. So was mine. Uh, your body was born in flesh that was already headed toward the grave. And it doesn't sound very appealing, but it's the second law of thermodynamics, right? As soon as you were formed, you were headed toward the grave. Your spirit, though, the part of you that communicates with God's spirit, had never lived. It's sitting there dormant. And when your intellect developed to the point where you fully understood the issues of right and wrong, you became responsible for your sin before God. You say, Pastor, what about uh, little babies and toddlers? Are they responsible for sin? Not until they understand the implications of sin. But most in here understand that. And, and so there you were, and you realized what you were and what you needed. And it, you still had a dying body and a dead soul and a spirit that had never lived. But here's what happened. The moment when you received Jesus, if you've received Jesus, the moment you received Jesus, when you confessed him as your Savior, when you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you were miraculously saved. Your spirit, which had never lived, was born into the family of God. Jesus calls it the new birth. Your soul was resurrected from death unto life. Your soul was changed from condemned to never able to be condemned. That's spiritual adoption into God's family. So your spirit was born, your soul was adopted, and now your soul cannot come under condemnation. It is passed from death unto life. And your body that has been running down since birth and is still running down has been guaranteed a new form through resurrection. Now, how many of you would be willing to admit you're kind of happy that you're going to get a glorified body someday? Right? That's kind of be pretty neat, right? 
How many of you ever been a little sore when you woke up in the morning and you thought maybe you needed some of the oil like the tin man got? <laughs> kind of get it moving and get it grooving a little bit. Uh, every part of you has been guaranteed by Jesus because of the, him coming out of the grave uh, that you will have new life. And uh, let me mention something else about the place. We say as the second part today, the place is where life after death was made possible. Life after death was made possible. One day, really just a week or so before his crucifixion, Jesus received word that his friend Lazarus was sick. And the sisters of Lazarus, their names were Mary and Martha, they sent word for Jesus to come quickly to help him because they knew that Jesus was a healer. And Jesus was uh, far away, and so he said to his disciples, this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. And Jesus stayed where he was for a couple more days, and by the time he got to Bethany, which is where Lazarus was, Lazarus was not just sick, he had been dead for four days. And Martha came to Jesus, and she was mourning, and she said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he'll rise again someday. Jesus said at John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And to offer a glimpse of what his own resurrection would mean in just days to come, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, life after death is an anticipation built into the human soul. In every belief system in the world, there is an anticipation that there is something after death. And it goes against logic, really, to think that there's not. It's built into the human soul. And Jesus took the concept of resurrection that had been talked about for all of history, and he made it into a reality. And so this is the place where the hope of rising again to a new body changed from wishful thinking to confident expectation. And for those who believe in Jesus, being resurrected is not a shock. It's something we're excited to experience, even though we don't have a full understanding of how it'll take place. A young man came to his boss, and he asked for the day off to attend his grandmother's funeral. And of course, his boss said, that's fine, and sure, you could do that. The next day, the young man was back at work talking to his boss, and, and the boss said to him, uh, do you believe in resurrection from the dead? And the young man said, yes. He said, uh, interesting, because after you left work yesterday, your grandmother came to visit you. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been low down and dirty enough to use a fake funeral as an excuse to get out of work, but that's pretty low, right? So you could go to the World Series or whatever it was. But, uh, you know, the hope we have in Jesus is not a wish or a dream. It is confident expectation that we will be raised again incorruptible. I love the promise of 1 Corinthians 15. It says early in the chapter, For as in Adam all die, 
even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And it goes on later in verse 51 to say, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. A man and his five-year-old son were driving past the cemetery. And the little boy noticed a, a big pile of dirt from a freshly dug grave. And he yelled out to his dad, look, dad, one got out. <laughs> you know, next time you drive past a cemetery, you can remember the one who got out. Uh, the grave could not hold him. And because he lives, we live also. And so life after death happened at the place of resurrection. But there's another thing about this place. That, thirdly, this is the place where Jesus' presence is guaranteed. Jesus' presence is guaranteed. In Matthew 28, we read the text about the empty tomb. But at the end of the same chapter, there's a promise that Jesus gave to his disciples and all his future disciples. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And hey, the, the one who destroyed death promised to be with us. And if you have received Jesus into your life, he is always with you, no matter the situation or the circumstance. Nothing can separate you from his love or his presence. His presence is guaranteed to us through the Spirit of God. But there's more than that. Jesus is also our advocate with the Father in heaven. Hebrews 7 says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. I love Romans 8. It's such a great chapter uh, of promises to the believer. And yeah, this is Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. We have the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God. We have Jesus as our advocate with the Father. But we also have Jesus empowering us to live out the Christian life on this earth. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Colossians 1 says it this way. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a powerful statement. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And at the place of resurrection, the presence of Jesus was guaranteed. But I'd like to finish with this one today, the place where the return of the king is assured. The place where the return of the king is assured. Before he was crucified, Jesus had shared with his disciples that the Son of Man, that's what he called himself, that he would be killed and that he'd rise again the third day. But he also told them in Matthew 16, in our passage from last Sunday, that the Son of Man shall come again in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Now, as you can imagine, uh, the disciples didn't quite understand what Jesus was talking about until well after the resurrection. 
And they were still trying to adjust to the fact that Jesus was alive when he walked with them outside the city of Bethany, where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And and Jesus gave them some words about how the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And they'd be witnesses unto Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the outermost part of the earth. And then as they stood there, a cloud received Jesus out of their sight. And Acts 1 says, they just kept standing there looking at the sky. When our kids were little, uh, the boys always liked to get helium balloons. And if you're a parent, you may understand that sometimes just keeping those things around are really annoying. And so my wife came up with this ingenious move. Um, the day that they got the balloon, like not like seven days later when it had died in their room right on the floor, uh, what she did is she would say, let's take the balloon outside and give it to Jesus, right? And so the boys would come out, and uh, they, were, they were actually excited to give their balloon away. Now, this is parent psychology 101, right? This actually may be a form of torture, and it's probably wrong for you to to your kids. And kids, if you're in here and your parents have done things like this to you, I'm sorry, and I can recommend a good counselor, okay? Uh, but, uh, but she'd take it outside, and okay, okay, guys, we're going to give our balloon to Jesus. And uh, little Dawson and uh, Cody, they'd let their balloon go, and they'd watch it, and they'd watch it until they could only see a dot, and then it'd keep going. And that worked great. And then we had Autumn. And Autumn did not believe in balloon offerings. (laughs) She believed in the here and now. And she didn't want to give her balloon to Jesus. And uh, there has been a balloon crisis in the poor little girl's life ever since. She's 17. She still has balloon crisis syndrome. It's BCD, right? B, balloon, crisis. No, BCS. I can't even do my letters right. I apologize. Yeah. And, and, you know, we do these things where we sometimes watch and we see things. Uh, there goes that until we can't see it any further. Well, these guys, they stood out there on the Mount of Olives, and they watched as Jesus, who they had walked with for three years. And then he had been taken in the Garden of Eden by the traitor, the betrayer, Judas, who had come and kissed him and betrayed him. And then they followed afar and they watched as Jesus was legitimately crucified and killed on a wooden cross. And they were in the depths of despair. They thought it was all over. They thought all of their investment and their passion was worth nothing. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary ran into the room where they were and said, He's not there. He's risen. And the angel told us to come and see the place where he was. And Peter and John took off running. And John was faster, but as he got there, he had to stop for breath. And Peter ran in, and the body of Jesus was missing. Later that night, they're in a room meeting together. And Jesus appears through a wall. You say, how does that happen? The same way you walk on water. I have no idea. Jesus appears to them. And for several weeks, Jesus is there, and he's making them fish and chips on the beach, and he's talking to them and showing people uh, the imprints of the nails in his hands and feet. And now they've just watched as he's disappeared from their sight, and they're looking up like, what are we going to do now? 
and an angel, actually two of them, appeared to them in white garments. And, and the angel, uh, as they're standing there looking at the sky, these angels said to them, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And it was after this, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they really began to understand the things that Jesus had told them about his death and resurrection and return. And they started saying to each other, do you remember when Jesus said this? Do you think that could mean, <gasps> wow? And they started to get it. Now, we're looking back at this thing 2,000 years ago, reading the scripture, like, oh, yeah, that means he's going to rise from the dead. That's because we already know he has. And the disciples were really confused, and then they started to figure it out, and then they began to go and to preach everywhere, even at the risk of martyrdom. And the Bible says this about him in Acts. These are the men who turn the world upside down. How did fishermen and tax collectors turn the world upside down? Because they had seen the risen Christ. And they knew that he would return. Paul told Titus that believers should be living by grace in this present world. And that we should be looking for what he called that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Christ's resurrection reveals that the Savior who came in humility to the major of Bethlehem, will return in great power and glory as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow. I, I don't know all of you. I'd love to meet you. I'll tell you this this morning. No matter where you're from, no matter your race or your religion, your thought process, your upbringing, your education, your knee will bow before Jesus. The people who claim to not know if there is a God will bow before Jesus. The people who say there is no God will bow before Jesus. And I'll tell you this, with the news this week that we've seen in the news uh, about the word hell, the place of hell, I'll tell you this. God still believes in hell. And that's all you need to know. It doesn't matter who says they don't, he does. And it's a legitimate, literal place for those who reject the offer of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. If you willingly bow your heart to Jesus before he returns as king, you will spend all eternity with him. But if you refuse to bow before he returns, you're still going to bow. But you're going to bow through neglect. And you've already chosen to spend all eternity without him. And so this is your choice. I'll tell you this. God is a God of love. He is full of grace towards you. He sent Jesus to this earth to live out the gospel so that every one of us can be at peace with God. But if we choose not to accept what Christ has done, 
our decision has immense results. And that leads us to today's big truth as we finish this Easter service. You must come and see the place where the Lord lay for yourself. No one else can have a personal relationship with Jesus for you. Your parents can't decide to become a Christian for you. There's no church that can decide whether or not you're a Christian. You must come to God on your own. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus came to pay for your sins. And confess that he rose from the grave to give you life. Accepting him into your heart. And here's today's faith challenge. I believe that God would be saying to us today, will you accept the terms Jesus has given to escape death and embrace life? If you'd like to accept Jesus into your life today, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Let's all bow together. If you want Jesus in your life today, you could say this to him right now in your heart. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that because of my own choices, I deserve eternal death. But you came to this earth because you loved me. And you died on the cross to pay for my sins and give me peace with God. I turn from my way to your way. I accept you into my life. I want you as my Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead to make salvation certain for me. Thank you for your grace. And Lord, I, I pray now that you'll be with each one who's just prayed words in their heart to you to accept you into their lives. Help them to be bold in faith. Help them to tell someone the decision they've made for you today. Help them to begin to grow in you and follow you all the days of their lives. We praise you for defeating death. We're so thankful for your abiding presence. And we look forward to your return because we long to see you face to face. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.